Welcome everyone to the Literacy Quebec podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Cudmore. I'm without my co-host this week, Chris Shi. He's about to get married this weekend. Congratulations, Chris. We're very excited for him. We thought we'd take this opportunity to replay one of our favorite episodes from season one. This is the season finale, actually, from season one, when Chris got a chance to speak to three fantastic storytellers from Quebec, Joanne Pelletier from Concordia University, Emma Lanza, also from Concordia, and Taylor Tower from Concordia as well, but also the Quebec Writers Federation. We got to see these storytellers, among some others, at an event in the spring called This is Concordia. Chris got to speak with these three about the value of oral storytelling and we learned some tips on how to craft an effective story from personal experiences to create a connection with an audience and with each other and they share also some of their stories so have a listen we talk about themes of mental health coming of age and rituals chris and i will be back in a couple weeks with a brand new episode for season two so have a listen enjoy the sun and we'll talk to you soon Well, I'm so excited to have you guys here. Thank you for coming along on a Sunday. Yeah, thank <laughs> you for doing it on the weekend. I'm sorry, weekdays are really hard for me. It's mm-hmm. awesome. No, it's uh, it's great to have you guys here. I'm uh, I'm pumped to talk about storytelling and how it links back with literacy and uh, and your experience. I'm just we're just gonna have a oh. chat and see where it goes. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So from the this is Concordia now event. That's where we all, we all met, even mm-hmm. though we, uh, we were in the audience. Uh, so Literacy Quebec in the audience, we came along, watched your show. And, and can you tell us like how that ended for you guys, how you felt afterwards, the event? Tell us a bit about the This is Concordia Now uh, storytelling event. I work at Concordia. We all work at Concordia. And some of the alumni colleagues had knew that I was involved in storytelling. And we co-produced these events together that attempt to connect alumni with what's going on at Concordia. And they suggested, well, why don't we do a storytelling event? And that's how it grew. And so I got together um, my friends, essentially, who also happened to be at Concordia, but some of the best storytellers I know, and said, let's get together and do an event for All the right. alumni. And that's how it grew. All right. well, so it was their first venture. Uh, the Alumni Association, the actual producers of the event. All right. Um, and they were thrilled with it and want to do it again. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. So before we, before we get started, I guess we should um, ask, you know, who you are, mm-hmm. your name, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where you're from, and a bit about you guys, and uh, and we can just... Uh, so we'll start with you, Joanne, obviously. Start with me. So Joanne Peltier, um, I'm a Montrealer. I work at Concordia. Excellent. I work in communications. I work in developing external partnerships that help promote the university. So uh, that often has me um, coaching academics, our academic colleagues, on how to present complex work to a general audience, usually in a really short amount of time. Um, That's part of my work and then a whole lot of other more bureaucratic stuff around planning, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, communications for the university and marketing what we do. So um, I'm a storyteller, I'm a boxer, a boxing, uh, an amateur boxing judge in Quebec, Ontario, New York State, and I'm a life coach on the side. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. And your story about boxing was uh, awesome, as yours was about theory. Yours was about an interesting Brisbane man from Australia. (laughs) (laughs) So, Emma? Um, My name is Emma Lanza. I'm also a Montrealer, born and bred, and I work at Concordia at a research center called the Center for Clinical Research and Health, which is a mouthful, but it's great. It's housed in psychology, and we do all sorts of research in mental health and physical health. Um, We have members from all of the faculties at Concordia which is great. Um, I'm trained as a librarian, actually, so literacy is something very close to my heart. Um, So I'm very happy to be here. Um, I'm also a storyteller, and I love Broadway, as you know from my story. That's one of my big passions in my life. 
And I have a background in theater performance and arts management as well. And Verdun is your stomping ground too. Or my old stomping ground. Old stomping I'm, in, ground. I'm in NDG now, but okay. for, I lived in Verdun for like five years. It was great. I love Verdun. Yeah. yeah, so I'm Taylor Tower. I'm from Portland, Oregon. Um, I came to Montreal about 10 years ago. Uh, so I'm in a, Montreal is my adopted town and I'm so happy to be here. I love everything about it. And at Concordia, I am the other communications advisor for the Faculty of Arts and Science. So me and my colleague work together um, to help academics also express themselves in a more accessible way to the general public so that Montreal and beyond can really understand the impact of their research. And then I have a background in public relations marketing for small theaters. I worked at Children's Theater Company in Minneapolis. I worked at the Siegel Center for Performing Arts here in Montreal. Um, and I also was a nanny for a lot of my life. So literacy is also something I hold dear, dear to my heart. And I teach storytelling to uh, people in the community in Montreal. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, girl. It's, it's just so good to have you here. Yeah, yeah, so many varied backgrounds and man, I mean, you listeners there, I, I was on the edge of my seat at the <laughs> This Is Concordia um, now event, sitting in the front row, just like, um, um, as you said, I was smiling and I was, I was <laughs> you were really great. You were great to look at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I appreciate it. I mean, I know, I mean, as a, as a speaker, you can get some encouragement from, from people in the audience and things mm-hmm. and, um, and then, uh, some people that are falling asleep too, like we took. Yes, yes. <laughs> or just really into it and close, closing her eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, I guess where can we start with this uh, with this episode on storytelling? And I mean, it's just so broad and mm. how it links back with literacy. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I guess uh, I, w- I was going to put you guys on the spot, wasn't I? And say, um, if you wanted, if you had. A snippet off the top of your head about your stories. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but, uh, um, Joanne, do you want to start us off with this? Sure. And, like, sure. Telling a, a bit of the story that you, uh. I, I'd be delighted. So mine is a, a boxing story and I've told a couple of boxing stories. Uh, but this is the first one I told, uh, about being a judge. And so I'll just read, uh, the beginning part of it or tell the beginning part of it. Yeah, that's a bloodstain, on the canvas, the sign of a well-used boxing ring. It's my first night as an amateur boxing judge. I've been training as an apprentice judge, but tonight, my decisions, my scores, they're going to count for real. I just met all the fighters at the weigh-in. On my very own ringside table, yeah, that's the card, the list of fights for the night, and... Rule book, water bottle, scorecard, all my own. Yeah, I'm ready. I know all the rules. I know the ropes. I know boxing. I adjust my bow tie. That's a judge's uniform. Oh, yeah, it's a perfect night. <laughs> Woo! Thank you. <laughs> Um, all right, let me see. Okay, so my story, so the theme for the event was uh, rituals, yeah. which oh, okay. stumped me a little bit at first because I kept coming up with all these rituals that I do all the time, mm. um, but none of them I felt was like an eight minute story mm-hmm. per se. And then I thought about theater as a ritual, mm. um, and that's sort of where my story came from. Um, kind of, then it came more organically um, and okay. sort of from there. So I'm a little bossy at the beginning of my story. <laughs> I love it. I love it when you're bossy. <laughs> All right. Okay, here we go. A few ground rules. A soundtrack is for a movie. If you are referring to a musical, what you mean is an original cast recording or OCR. <laughs> It is most frowned upon to stage door a show you did not see that night. And you must always, always preserve your playbills in archival quality story. It's April of 2017 and I am on one of my annual pilgrimages to New York City and the broad of the way. I save up all year to be able to go there and splurge on shows. Broadway shows are my everything. I typically go from Wednesday through Sunday 
and see eight shows in those five days. I liken it to refilling the gas tank of my soul. My flight into the city is delayed, so I am late for the matinee of Sunset Boulevard, starring the truly legendary and meme-worthy Glenn Close. I arrive 30 minutes into Act One, but as soon as I take my seat at the darkened Palace Theater, I am immediately back in my happy place, my safe place. To quote from the show, it's as if we never said goodbye. and how you come out the gate giving the audience exactly the setting like letting us know what we're in for and yeah. without saying it showing us your authority on this yeah you know it's yeah. like what i love about storytelling is it really challenges you to look at the way that you present the information okay. and when it's done well you learn so much about the person so much about their life and so much about yourself okay. in a few moments okay. and i find that that's it's, what i love about it, it it's so true like i didn't have to tell you another way to do my story would have been to say i really love boxing I'm so excited about my first night, right? Well, I could do that, or I could show you mm -hmm. why this is so meaningful and why I'm excited mm -hmm. about it, right? Yeah. So the concept of show versus tell is yeah. important. Yeah. Because I think, you know, the first right. impulse in when you're throat clearing and you're, you're trying to put your personal experience and shape it into something artful is to just state the facts. You know, okay. you start doing that. Okay, well, I was excited. Then the challenge is to say, who am I? Because excited to, to you is different to me, is different to right. Joanne, is different to Emma. So then saying, well, how do I show people what excitement looks like to me? Okay. And what ends up happening is that the more concrete you are, the more specific you are in your details, the more universal you become. Right. And so yeah. the, the impulse is to be abstract because you want to understandably bring everyone in. But you're actually doing yourself a disservice because okay. in okay. your mind, when you're listening to a story abstractions you can't visualize you can't have an emotional connection but a specific the like the re repetition of the scorecard rule book water bottle scorecard yeah rule book water bottle water bottle scorecard yeah. not only can you see those concrete items okay. but the repetition of them throughout the story acts as um like a heartbeat it keeps you engaged and it means something new every time right. you hear it as an audience member okay. you're kind of waiting for it and it's like these um what i call breadcrumbs for yeah. the audience it's like they're following you to your epiphany in okay. the story mm. and so i love and that's what i love about oral storytelling it's different than when you write it okay. so anyway that, i just went on a whole thing but yeah, absolutely <laughs> And, and as as you were in the audience listening to Emma's yeah. and Joanne's story, is that the sort of like yeah. process that you go through yourself? Well, you know, I think it's interesting because I study storytelling and I care a lot about it and I study, you know, behind the curtain. But the thing that's so powerful about storytelling is you just become absorbed in it. And that voice, that, um, you know, academic technical voice goes away and I'm just having a good time. It's only in retrospect that I'm like, wow, look at how they put those pieces yeah. together. But that's what's amazing about right, storytelling right. Okay. is that it doesn't matter if um, you come from uh, a background of, you know, you have a master's in creative writing or if you, you know, my grandmother didn't finish eighth grade and she wrote two novels. And when okay. I read them, she's using storytelling techniques that they teach you in an MFA program. Right. And she never went to high school. Okay. It's humans have this natural ability to tell stories and as a listener it's it transports you and so that's what's so great about it too is it's so accessible and it doesn't matter who you are okay. you can just become enthralled in it and you yourself can enthrall people through storytelling fantastic yeah. it's the way that it's just so interesting to hear you articulate what's happening and why and mm -hmm. how come and it's like because I, I, as an audience member i was obviously going through that process but mm. not really kind of like you say yeah. analyzing it afterwards so yeah thanks for sharing that. yeah of course and just to speak to uh your point about the theme of rituals mm. what i really love about having a theme is that um it's a lot easier to work from uh, a prompt okay. so if someone says you know tell a story 
your mind goes all over. Well, what does yeah. that even mean? Like, you know, it's and like, I, so it's, it's, oh, like I like your Aussie accent. Say yeah. something in, in Aussie for yeah. Me. yeah. And you're like, I don't even know. What do people say? Where am I from? You know, <laughs> it's, cool, it's okay. overwhelming. So, so the fact that there was a theme, was yeah, really, it helps a lot. It's oh, very lot. freeing actually. And what I started doing okay. similar to what Emma was doing at first, I was like ritual, ritual. And I thought of doing things repetitively and doing things like to honor something. Right. And it, a lot of my storytelling, has to do with um, when I was a kid. Okay. I vividly remember basically every year of my life. Like my earliest memory, I'm in my crib. I remember it. Really? So I, for me, childhood is like my muse. It's where I go all the time in my stories. Really? Do you do you do you remember your, do you remember your crib, John? Like I I don't I you know I don't remember my crib, but like I talk a lot of, in my stories about my panic disorder, mm-hmm. and I remember having a panic attack at like age five. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, vividly. Mm-hmm. So not in my crib, but like from a very young, young age, I have yeah. very vivid memories of of my mental illness. Before it was diagnosed, even. Yep. Before realizing what it was. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about storytelling is we all have questions that we ask throughout our lives. So through storytelling, I've discovered what the questions are that matter to me. And they all kind of started in childhood. So even though a lot of my stories take place when I was a kid, those questions are fundamentally who I am. And each time I tell a story, I'm learning something about myself. So when I was thinking about this ritual, um, I actually looked it up in the dictionary and I was trying to get inspiration from that. I did the same Right? Yeah. And that's what's fun is that, you know, you, you start this creative process. And so I looked up the definitions and I wrote these down. An established or prescribed procedure for a religious or other rite. A system or a collection of religious or other rites. So then I was like, rites of passage. Um, I started writing, oh, teen girl fandom and thinking about how I really saw myself in um, the music I was listening to. And, and when you're a young girl, a lot of your interests are um, demeaned. They're considered frivolous and foolish. Okay. Okay. And... I don't think there's enough storytelling around being a young girl. And that's why I was so moved by your story too, is that theater for you really helped you find who Mm -hmm. you are. And for me, you know, what might be considered a trivial obsession with the pop band actually turned into this glorified fan fiction on the internet where I made an actual connection with somebody. It was kind of like playing house, but the dolls were real people, Amazing. you know, the, the doll was real. Um, so that's where I started. And that's where I started deciding what story I wanted to tell. And I've told this story for many years. Okay. Um, and I, in this storytelling at Concordia, I wrote eight new drafts where I was exploring different um, structures for it. Okay. So this is uh, what I landed on. It's 1997. And my mom just bought our family's first computer. A Gateway 2000 with AOL 3.0. I'm coming off my first year of middle school, and I feel like my mind, body, and soul are very much under construction. I wear my waist-length hair in a ponytail with a middle part and giant Sally Jesse Raphael glasses that dwarf my face, but don't hide my lazy eye. I exclusively wear uh, turtlenecks and embroidered overalls. This look gives the middle school bullies a lot of ammo. They call me Cyclops and Retard and knock the books out of my hands. So this computer arriving on the first day of summer is a welcome distraction. I sit down in the rolling office chair, put my hand on the mouse, and hit the connect button. The computer blips and bleeps as it wrestles itself onto the phone line, and then the AOL welcome screen invites me to check out chat rooms. There are hundreds in every imaginable category. Teen, music, outdoors. But the one I end up clicking on is called Parenting. Text is cascading down the screen as everyone speaks at once. I notice the same screen name coming up again and again. Mommy R-N-S-N-C-C. She's greeting people as they come in. She's the moderator. I see she's asking everyone the same question. A slash S slash L. Age, sex, location. And then she spots me. My screen name appears and she asks, A slash S slash L. My fingers are poised over the keyboard. And that's when I realize I can put anything I want. I type 35 slash M slash Brisbane Australia. Thank <laughs> you.
You've got mail. <laughs> oh, this just sensational. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny about that story is I actually only told that story publicly for the first time on stage. Okay. Like I had not told anyone in my family, my friends, nobody knew that really? I had done this thing. <laughs> and um, I found Confabulation, which is a local storytelling show in Montreal. Okay. And um, I noticed they were having a, a call for storytellers. And so I submitted this pitch and I was accepted. Wow. And so then on stage in front of strangers, <laughs> I articulated that I had done this at 11 years old. Really? And through having to tell it, I started understanding the motivation behind it and why I had done it and what it meant. So it was such like... And you went on for like, uh, till you were 14? Yes. Yeah, it was like a three-year relationship (laughs) with this woman I met in a parenting chat room who thought I was this Australian man. Incredible. And (laughs) it, it, you know, it became bigger than me. Like, it really consumed my life. Um, And I'm still unpacking it. Like, with things like that, you're learning something about yourself each time you tell that story. Okay. So yeah, it's been educational. <laughs> and so, so do you think as in one of my question was, is it, why do you storytell? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. do you feel as though that that's uh, mm. why you story, why you get up and share those stories? Mm. You, I, individually? Well, I, I would say I, like you, Taylor, I, most of the stories I, I tell, um, I haven't told others mm. about, I, and it's not because they're secrets, oh, yeah. um, wow. it really, but they just um, were not uh, things that um, came up. They're often things that happened in my childhood, mm-hmm. or they're things that happen in the context of boxing, or sport, or other things that right. I do in life. But um, the way they get developed is me typically thinking that something that happened is maybe unique. But it's also pretty universal. For me, it's often involves some self-deprecation, some mm-hmm. realization of my own humility mm-hmm. and frailty. And, and then I build the rest of the narrative around it. And invariably, I learn something about the right. thing that happened. And what I love about the practice is it's, um, someone asked me once after a storytelling event, well, did everything happen in that mm-hmm. story? Yeah. Yeah. Because people are, are, I think that what happens in life is sometimes more bizarre than fiction yep. can be, right? Yep. And I said, yes, yeah. in fact. And it, my first story was about, um, I started an environmental group when I was eight years old. So this would have been the early 70s. And Amazing. it also start coincided with the year of my first confession and also the year my mother had plastic surgery. And so I revealed to the world that my mother had plastic surgery, which became the sin, in fact, that I told in the confessional, mm. which made the priest laugh out loud <laughs> and created a kind of mythology about me as a sinner for the remaining part of my um, uh, middle school years. For you, for you internally? No, for, for my for... reputation as a sinner, because... The priest laughed so long, I was in the confessional for a great long amount of time uh-huh. beyond the typical 30 seconds you're supposed to so be people in were there. Whispering. People were whispering. <laughs> so I, I went from being a, an environmental nerd to more of a badass sinner mm-hmm. in the eyes of the other eight year olds. Yeah, the eight year olds. Right. But in telling that story, that, that story is really a story about love, about my mom. It really is about the playful relationship we had. Um, and her forgiving me for having revealed to the world that she had plastic surgery. And that was uh, something that had happened, including the, the environmental group that I had long stored away. But remembering it, this curious thing about a priest laughing at my confession, allowed me to put together all this. So in that context, this guy said, well, that did all that really happen? And I said, well... Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. Well, did it happen exactly that way? I said, well, storytelling is not a police report, no. right? Mm-hmm. It's not a forensic analysis of the experience, mm-hmm. right? It's it's a, a, a an accumulation of things, mm-hmm. plus my emotion, plus the almost 40 years plus of experience on top of it. Mm-hmm. So it's many things going on. And I bet that maybe both of you would feel the same. If you tell the story a second or third time, mm-hmm. as you suggested, Taylor, it can morph and change. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, um, well, my my stories tend to 
revolves a lot around mental health and that's something that I do very consciously because I try to I try to be for lack of a better term like an advocate for that mm. um, I think the more we talk about mental health the more it reduces the stigma around it so the stories are not necessarily stories that people haven't heard like I'll tell a story of how I had a blood clot and I almost died and people know that because if you're friends with me, like you would know that that happened to me. Mm-hmm. But the story is more about like what, what, what it was like in the hospital for me, mm-hmm. being there for so like for a month and mm-hmm. the long hours when you're alone and what that can feel like from a mental health perspective. Even in the Broadway story, like they're like having a panic attack at a Broadway show and what that means. It's not so much stories that people haven't heard. It's just a different, more personal, mm-hmm. internal, internalized take on them. But then people will come up to me after and they'll say like, oh, I had a panic attack and I didn't know what it was until you described it. Mm. Oh, wow. That's That's happened to me more than once. And like, not great, like, that you had a panic attack, obviously, but like, at least that you know, well, that's what was happening to you. That's helpful in a way. And Um, yeah, and just going towards, back to your question of why do you tell stories and also um, how does it relate to just being a human, we have a lot of resources. You know, you can go online and Google things. You can go to a doctor and ask their advice. You can read, I don't know, like medical journals or whatever. But the way that humans actually acquire knowledge and understanding is through sharing with others, through storytelling. And so your Emma example of someone coming up to you and telling, okay, finally, I recognize that it was a panic attack. Not only do they now know what they're experiencing, Mm -hmm. they are so, I imagine so much less alone and and terrified because my brother suffers from panic attacks and he actually thought he was having a heart attack because the symptoms are very similar. And especially if you're, you know, I'm American, so um, we don't have health care. My brother didn't have any health care. And so he went to like a downtown uh, clinic for uh, vulnerable people that don't have health care. And he got an EKG and they were like, no, you're having a panic attack. But imagine if it were more like less stigmatized to share these stories. Maybe my brother would have heard a story from someone and he would have recognized it was a panic attack. And, and then that would have influenced how he dealt with it and how he felt about himself. And so not only on a personal level, is it so valuable to tell stories because as Joanne was saying, you learn something new each time you tell it. Um, But as Emma was saying, you're, you're giving people, something that they lost. You're giving them more strength. You're empowering them as well. And how good does that feel to say, I'm sharing my own personal experience, which is valuable, but then I see it's making a difference for other people. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, like I came from a writing background where I wanted to be an author and I wanted to write fiction and I was having a really hard time knowing what I wanted to write about and what it would look like to be an, uh, an author. And when I started doing oral storytelling, that actually led me to teaching, which has greatly enhanced my life beyond measure. Like I never wanted to be a teacher. It just didn't occur to me. And I, there's a resource here in Montreal called Quebec Writers Federation and they offer all kinds of courses. And when I first moved here, I took every course because I just wanted to immerse myself in writing and I love giving constructive feedback. And so um, everyone got to know me and they got a grant and they came to me and they're like, do you want to teach a storytelling workshop in Quebec and we'll pay you and we'll get you there. And I was like, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking I've never taught before. I'm 25 years old. Like, but my mouth was like, yes, because you have to recognize these opportunities when they come, but store oral storytelling and being a part of a, a storytelling community has opened up not only professional opportunities, but incredible and valuable personal opportunities as well. So I can't emphasize enough how amazing storytelling is. And I think every time we do a show and people come up to us after, that's the proof, you know? Right. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. And have you had any of your um, audience or uh, who you've spoken to, shared your stories, become storytellers at all? Yeah. Um, yeah, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> for sure. And indeed, wow. I, I went, I brought a couple of uh, friends to, there was a storytelling event at Confabulation last night. Oh, and I brought a, a couple of friends along who are uh, interested um, and really trying to make that next step mm, to yeah. getting on stage. And I think they're, I think they're really close because as it happens last night, there were, I think, a number of first time storytellers. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were able to see, um, 
you know, real points of frailty, people struggling a couple of times with um, remembering right. their story because mm-hmm. the story means Absolutely. no props and notes. <laughs> and so we went for dinner after and talked about um, some interesting things about what happens when you're up there. So they asked me, and people often ask me if I, do I memorize my stories? And I don't. I relearn the story the mm-hmm. way I want the audience to hear it. So it's typical that we remember stories, right? Where our heads are full of right. sequences of how I got here today and what I had for breakfast and what I did, etc. And so we know those stories. We don't have PowerPoint presentations mm-hmm. for everything that we talk about on a daily basis. Right, right. So the same model would mean that any story I want to tell, I can relearn in a mm-hmm. certain way mm-hmm. to okay. tell you mm-hmm. in front of an audience. And once you do that, you realize, well, you really don't need to be connected to a text. Mm -mm. Once you know the story for sure and you can tell it with certainty. And I try to really really knock that idea out of my students' heads because um, obviously you want to do well, you know, and that's where these questions are coming from when my students ask me, do you memorize? First of all, then you're turning yourself into a computer when you try to memorize every single word. It's not natural for humans to recite. It's stressful. And so what storytelling is, I tell my students, is first think of something that matters to you. If you don't care about what you're talking about, you're not going to remember it because you don't care. So that's the first step. What what do you care about? And and just if you're not someone who uh, jots down ideas... Record yourself just talking to yourself. Say, you know, 1970 in the back of my grandmother's car going to the Grand Canyon. Just talk it out and then listen to it and say, oh, I notice I remember these new details. How can I shift that? Maybe I should start when I'm in the Grand Canyon. Then record yourself again and try that. And it's a learning, like you're saying. You're you're learning the story in a new form. You're not memorizing. So then when you do get on stage... It, you know the points you want to hit, okay. but yeah. you don't have each yeah. word memorized, so then it's going to sound natural, it's yeah. going to sound interesting, and you have way less likelihood of blanking. Yeah. Right. And no yeah. one wants to blank. And when you blank, right. you truly feel lost in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. But you set yourself up for failure if you try to memorize, because yeah, humans absolutely. don't operate that way. Okay. So I tell my students... Just practice the story however you feel comfortable. <laughs> Pace your room. Practice it with friends. Okay. Yeah. And then when it gets to a place where you feel you know it in your bones, you're not going to forget anything. You, you because if forget you forget it. the word you wanted to right. use, just You'll use just a synonym. Another, yeah, just use a synonym. Word. <laughs> find another word, you know. Because the okay. point is the emotional truth. And this yes. goes back to what you were saying when people ask, did that happen? And, you know, my story that I shared here... It's very odd. Like, I was a kid right. who pretended to be an older man and had an affair with an, a Mormon woman in Idaho for three years. Yeah. That sounds improbable, yeah. but it really happened. And to me, what's more interesting than the facts is the emotional truth of the story. Yes, the surface details are bizarre, yeah. but what was I really doing? I was a pubescent girl reaching out for a connection, yeah. trying exactly. to have uh, someone help me understand intimacy, help me understand uh, right. connection. And so even though it manifested in an odd way, it's a universal feeling. And Absolutely. so I tell my students, when you're writing a story and you can't remember if you were wearing a blue coat or a green right. coat, it doesn't matter. Right. You know, just say it was green. Because yeah. really what we want is the truth, the emotional truth of it. Okay. And that's where you're going to connect to people. And memory is is not reliable anyway. But we're not, uh, like you said, it's not a, a forensic report. Uh-huh. We're not going to be put on trial because, you know, it was actually... Uh, you know, Third Street, not Sixth yeah, Street. Nobody, <laughs> no, no one in the yeah. audience yeah. is going to no raise their hand and be like, "Excuse me, that's yeah. not what happened." No, right. Yeah, right. it's your story. Yeah, and I'll tell you guys, I did blank at that. This is Concordia now. Mm. I did because I. Right. So the only time, the only thing I struggle with in my stories is sometimes the. The, the link, the transition, transition. That's why I only I, memorize transitions. That's it. <laughs> and I blanked at a transition moment okay. and it, I think I passed it off as a pause. Oh, you did. You did. But, I didn't even notice. But in, really? but yeah. in, in the yeah. moment, because well, we saw the story before. So but in the moment, like okay. it feels like an eternity on it really stage. does. Yeah. And it's like the blood just like, yep. dr- yeah. like drains oh, from man. your body. And I just story, was, <laughs> yeah. I, I was on stage as a drama production and I had a, a blank on stage yeah. when I was with my lines mm. and, uh, and my compadre saved 
my butt, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, put so it feel like it's tuned. It's yeah, tuned. but I always tell my students, you have to remember, it's so much worse in your mind than what that's the audience really is seeing. What the audience is seeing is a blip Phew. they don't even tell. And that's why the key is to remain calm, take a deep breath, and just find a place to start. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. what you got to do. And, yeah. and that's why storytelling also is so amazing, is that... You, if you never put yourself in a position where you fall and, and get up and wipe yourself off and continue, yeah. it's, it's difficult to build your self-esteem. Your self-esteem has to be tested in order to grow. And so for me, doing storytelling right. has helped me like myself more. Yeah. Because the more that you come out the other end, or the more that you fail and you see that no one faults you for it, people are still on your team, okay. the more you realize what's worth getting upset about and what's not. And so storytelling, the kind of people who are like, hey, it's Saturday night. Do you want to go see a bunch of strangers tell personal stories about their life? Those are kind people. You're not going to get booed off the stage. You're not going to get, you know, heckled. You're going to be fully supported. So it's a great place to take a risk. Yeah. Yeah. Though I will say that when I first started storytelling, my stories were a little funnier. Okay. They, they, I, I, well, I knew that because I got feedback from other storytellers, but I would hear the audience laugh. Mm-hmm. Well, what a great addiction it is mm-hmm. to hear yeah. a group of people laugh, mm-hmm. right? Or gas. Or gas. You know? But I've recently okay. started to tell, um, not darker stories, but more thoughtful stories about aging, for instance, um, yeah. about, uh, about, uh, mourning, about loss. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. There, there are funny points in the stories, but there are no big, heavy hitter laughs, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And um, I do know that a couple of people have said, uh, "Boy, the work is getting really heavy. Mm-hmm. Like your work is getting really heavy." And I thought, well, that's interesting that we find thoughtful human stories yeah. as, as heavy. Okay. Well, I right. and I would like to get your feedback on this because I, in my family, we deal with everything through humor. And I would say, and I hope that a lot of my stories do have a, a thoughtful, deep core. I My delivery is very often funny uh, because that's my style. But it was really interesting when I co-taught a storytelling class with Nisha Coleman, who is very well known in the storytelling community okay, here and elsewhere. And her stories are often uh, more, well, she can be funny as well, but dark. Um, And so teaching with her was interesting because I noticed the students who came from a darker background and maybe had um, topics for stories that were a bit more sensitive, they very much gravitated towards her. Um, And they felt very comfortable speaking to her about their stories. And I wanted to make it clear to them that just because I have jokes in my stories that... I'm still someone you can come to and I'm still someone who I hope explores those themes in my stories. So, uh, what is your impression of my, my storytelling? Um, I, I don't, I think your storytelling is, is, uh, humorous. Um, but that has a lot to do too with your delivery. Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact, I would say that about both of you Mm -hmm. and that you do address, um, and these are my favorite kinds of stories where really common human, um, themes are addressed, but that there's a loving humor brought Mm -hmm. to them, right? Because isn't that a wonderful place to be, to be able to look back with a with an open heart mm-hmm. about something you've done or experienced or mm-hmm. even that's been painful, mm-hmm. right? What a joyous place to be to look back and be kind to yourself mm-hmm. about a human experience, mm-hmm. and I think that can be funny mm-hmm. sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. That's a that's it, it. Might not even be a belly laugh, it be but it but it's a wow, isn't that that that? <laughs> and I like that kind of storytelling. But I, I don't want us to shy away from, mm-hmm. from, for instance, talking about aging mm-hmm. um, or talking about loss mm-hmm. because those are tremendously funny mm-hmm. things also, yeah. right? Yeah. But they're a little harder to broach mm-hmm. because they can be scarier. Yeah. Like mental illness can be yeah. scarier to... Some yeah. of the laughs I get are belly laughs and some of them are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, am right. I allowed to laugh? Yeah. <laughs> Like I'm having a panic attack about something truly ridiculous, mm-hmm. and I can rational like the rational side of my mind knows 
It's a, it's a logical, it, but yeah. it's a logical. So it's like you're laugh crying, and it's okay. Like if I'm telling you that, and it's funny, it's okay. Right. Like mm-hmm. so, I think it's the same thing. Like you're saying the stories about aging or about mortality or that kind of thing. Like, yeah. If you can't find the humor, like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like you. Yeah, I come from the same kind of family. Mm-hmm. Like everything is uh, like up for grabs, up for of, yeah. making fun of, yep. and kind of <laughs> skewing a little bit funny. Mm-hmm. So I think that comes through in the. Delivery in the delivery, too. And I, I think is. that's important for audiences as well, because when you come to a storytelling show, it challenges you. And mm-hmm. so I think you and I have spoken about when people nervously laugh. Yeah. Yes. We're, humor is not defined black and white. Um, you know, what's sad, what's deep, what's humorous. Society has trained us to, to you know, conduct ourselves in a certain way and to laugh at certain things and not laugh at others. And I think storytelling is an opportunity to challenge those mm-hmm. beliefs and to challenge what that means. And so when I'm like, I've, told a lot of stories about my father's death and I would say there's moments that are funny in those stories because human emotion is a gray area, you know, and it's okay and encouraged and important. I think as a society, we're only going to heal if we confront these things and we say, well, I went to the storytelling show. It made me feel uncomfortable. Why? You know, or uh, it made me laugh and I, but it was sad. Was I supposed to laugh? Yeah, like, I don't know why things. I was laughing yeah, at that's something. that's important. It's yeah. not, it's, of course it's a night of entertainment and of course you want to pay money to go to a show and to be entertained. But I think what's interesting about storytelling is that you're also going to come away with a lot of questions to consider for yourself. And uh, right. that's what I think the power of storytelling is. I, I told a story uh, a couple of years ago about a, a very bad experience with a sport as it happens rowing. And I'm very sporty and I'm very good at most sports. Okay. But rowing was a mythic disaster for me. And it had mostly to do with the fact that the boats are very narrow and my hips surpassed the size of most rowing skulls. And I thought the story was really funny, right? And it it was deliberately funny at certain points, but a couple of audience members came to me after and said, I really wanted a laugh because I relate to being like too big for a Mm. lot of sports, but I wasn't sure you'd be okay with me Mm. laughing at you, Mm. right? They were... They were feeling along with me, like a group of empaths, for sure, in the audience, right? But it was so interesting Mm. that their response and kindness, um, and certainly I could see some of them, like, coming along with me. You know, it. I thought, well, this is an emotional literacy moment, Mm -hmm. right? As you say, Taylor, you go to storytelling and... Things get prompted in you, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're experiencing emotions differently than mm-hmm. you would. So I tell a whole story about being fat. Yes, yes. You know, and there's tons of jokes in it, and I'm like, it's okay because none of them are fat jokes, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because mm-hmm. I don't like fat jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think we're past that. I think it's yeah. like not cool to laugh at people for being fat. Mm-hmm. But if I'm laughing because I'm fat, it's Dif- it's somehow mm-hmm. different. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You're, You're owning it. Right? I'm owning it, and yeah. it's not a negative, but I'm owning it as a non-negative thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Well, yeah, we're reframing the conversation about these subjects, yeah. right? Like, um, I grew up with a lazy eye. Obviously, I still have a lazy eye. But, you know, as a girl especially, you're trained to aspire to be what society thinks is beautiful. And so I talk a lot about growing up as a lazy eye. And I think that's important because whether it's a lazy eye or being fat or whatever it is, the more you go to storytelling events and hear the the full spectrum of human experience, you just feel so much less alone. And you realize like, I'm not going to be beholden to what my society and my culture tells me is right. Right, I'm going to be who I am and I'm going to feel proud. And after I tell stories, people come up to me and say, Oh, you, you seem so confident. And actually a coworker of mine, um, who's pregnant, uh, I found out that perhaps her child might have something like a lazy eye and she pulled me aside and she's like, you're so strong and, and you're so proud of who you are. What should I tell my daughter? So she feels proud. And I, that's huge because when I was a kid, my mom didn't have um, the tools to help me feel proud of myself. Okay. And so the fact that I now give that off and that people feel that for amazing. me, that's amazing. But that came from storytelling yeah. that I've, feel this way about myself. So it's so important to reframe the conversation because if you're afraid to laugh, if you think we can't talk about mental health, we can't talk about being proud in our bodies, yeah. 
then we're stifled as a society and how are we going to grow? You know? And, and I think for okay. storytelling, it's emotional literacy and it's literacy, right. you know? And yeah. so there's like multiple yeah. literacies there. It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. I was, that was sort of leading to my, yeah. my next thought process was like, uh, how, how do you think that people with those challenges within literacy, uh, um, you sharing those stories, etc., can they benefit from it? How, mm. how could they benefit from it, like you say? I, th- I think there's so much of, um, of our own concept of literacy that's mm-hmm. tied to, to text and yep. to reading. Yep. And um, there's such a bandwidth of verbal expression mm-hmm. that goes beyond what we're able to write mm-hmm. and okay. read. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, um, and storytelling is old. I mean, didn't get born with yeah. us here in Montreal. Yeah. Humans have always used storytelling That's to right. convey emotions, to share information, to share fact. Mm-hmm. I was reading the, the Nisha Coleman yeah. Uh, yeah. document uh, mm-hmm. about the history of like, uh, uh, and I just watched, uh, I don't know, this, this um, anime movie called uh, Kubo. Mm-hmm. And it's an uh, origami Japanese storytelling where he's got his... Uh, Guitar. Uh, it's it's a movie called Kubo, and mm. you, you can check it out. But mm. it's uh, it's a storytelling which sort of goes back about the Japanese yeah. old Japanese or through origami. And, yeah, and it's it's and very old, right? Yeah. So warriors. And yeah. yeah. So what yeah. what can be liberating about seeing someone tell a story is if we if we don't open ourselves up to that verbal expression, we're disenfranchising people who may not be able to write as well as someone else does or um, put the pieces together in text. Um, and there's this big piece of oral expression that's really important. And what mm-hmm. happens with oral expression is there's expression, right? Mm-hmm. My voice goes up and my voice mm-hmm. goes down. My hands might move. You, uh, the, I remember when I started, I, I wasn't sure that I was a performer. Mm-hmm. And I remember with my first story asking my mentor, gee, I see a lot of those confabulation people. They, you know, they look like they move with comfort on stage and I don't know that I can do that. Well, as it happens, it turns out I'm a big ham and really love to act uh, my, my stories on stage. Uh, but that was a great way of me learning how to use my voice and that I actually like to do that. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hugely important. Yeah, and I, with my students, because I often teach, um, at community organizations, so it's people from all backgrounds and all, um, experiences with, uh, formal schooling. And so often there'll be people on the first day of class who will feel insecure and say, you know, well, I didn't really do well in English and I, uh, you know, I never studied writing. And I say, that's not what this is about. Oral storytelling is something that we all have within us. And I think, um, it's a great way to build the confidence that will then help you get better at written writing and at okay. reading. Because if you already feel devalued and if you don't think you're worth it, to put in the work, you yeah. don't want to because you feel right. you're already going to fail. Yeah. And maybe you have experiences right. with... You're starting from behind. Yeah, and maybe yeah. you have ex- right. bad experiences with educators who didn't cater to your learning right. style yeah. and made you feel yeah. less than. Yeah. And so when you do oral storytelling... Um, and you're able to approach it from your own learning style. You have uh, confabulation. The storytelling event has producers that are there for you that help you. They don't. If you're not someone who likes to uh, write your story, they will work with you to tell your story and record okay. it. So they really cater to how you learn. And then you can go on stage, be a success, and feel, wow, I told a story about my life. It went well, and people care. And I'm I'm worth it. I matter. And then when you go back to class and you do have to write, you have that confidence and you can take those risks and you can take your time. And so I think storytelling is a great way to feel better about the other sides of literacy. So it's a great gateway to feel better about yourself. Yeah. Both by, by doing it, but also by experiencing. Yeah. You, just, you don't have to be a storyteller. You just go yeah. to the show and feel great. Exactly. About it. Yeah. 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 Not everyone has to be a performer. No. Though I do think there's some story. I, not all stories need to be told. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. and there are some uh, stories that I think um, need to be processed a little more mm-hmm. before they're told. Mm-hmm. So I'm sometimes asked, um, usually by friends who are high introverts like me, 
oh my God, how is it that you told that story yeah. on stage? Or that was so personal, the thing about the rowing, or even boxing stories. Yeah. And I respond, all of my stories are personal. Mm-hmm. Of course they're personal because they matter to me, and I feel really authentic because I own them, and they're emotional, and they're always about some kind of love. But they're not private. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're not private yeah. stories. There aren't things that I'm still... There might be things that I'm still working through or thinking about that I'm not ready to tell a story about. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to make that distinction. And mm-hmm. so every once in a while I will see someone telling a story that I think, hmm, you're not ready really mm-hmm. to see what that story is. Because I mean, there are a few of those, yeah. right? There are very few of those because yeah. they would get filtered out, I think, in the vetting right. process. Um, but y- you want your audience also to feel really comfortable, mm-hmm. right? You you want your comf- your audience to be prompted to feel, but be safe. Mm-hmm. Too, right? And that has to do with the fact that I tell my students, like, you're the driver. You're asking everyone to get in your car. If you don't have a license, you yeah. know what I mean? Right. Where yeah. are you leading this audience? And so you also have to understand that storytelling is a responsibility. Okay. If you're asking strangers to come and go on this ride with you, mm-hmm. you better be in you charge, better be yeah. in shape and you better have put the work in because if you're making promises in your story that you don't fulfill, yeah. if you're um you didn't take the time to analyze what your story means and so it can be const- construed in a in a god you know, like a violent way, God forbid, or whatever, that's a failing on you. So that's what's nice about confabulation is that you, you submit a pitch. So you submit your story summarize, and then the producers go through and and kind of see, and then they meet with you and they work on it and they ask you questions and and to understand, are you ready to tell this story? And do you understand that there's work involved? We're here for you, but there's work involved. And sometimes, because I was a producer for Confabulation, we would meet with someone and discover, I don't think you're ready. It doesn't mean we don't like your story. It doesn't mean that you're not talented. It just means that right now, it it wouldn't be responsible for us or for you to put you on stage and have you tell this story. Absolutely. Well, like, for example, with my Fat Pig story, which I I was in a play called Fat Pig, and I was the titular character. Okay. So it was all about deciding to be in this play, which was all about a fat woman and average-sized man's relationship. Okay. Um, And my... My tri- kind of journey of accepting my body through being in this play and mm-hmm. becoming kind of fat positive and all that. It took me a year to decide that I wanted to tell that mm-hmm. story. Right. Because I don't know why, but I'm much more comfortable talking, for example, about my mental health mm-hmm. than I was about talking about my body mm-hmm. because I had a lot more right. like baggage, yep. let's say, internally. Mm-hmm. So that was private. It was still yeah. a private experience. Yeah. Um, and it was the second story I told at Confabulation. So, like, I had told my first story, so I knew kind of what it was like. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm interested in telling the story, but am I ready? I don't know. And it, I would say it was about a year before I pitched it mm-hmm. because I had to decide, like you said, that I was ready to be in that driver's seat and put myself put myself out there like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you have to know where you're going if you want the audience to know where you're going. If you're yeah. up there and you don't know why you're telling the story, how you right. feel about it, you're going you're gonna to break down and start sobbing in the middle of yeah. it. You can't put the audience through that, you know, because it's a contract you sign when you're a performer of like, hey, you can trust me. Uh, there's going to be bumps in the road, but I know the destination and it's going to be awesome. You, know? like, you, can get, you can get emotional of if course. you're telling the story, yeah, of course. Right, right. Yeah. But that's it. You don't want to... You have to be in control. You have to still maintain that control. You shouldn't be an active processing of an emotion for the first time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I encounter this with... So I coach academics on their talks that they give on behalf of Concordia across the country. And sometimes they're stories and sometimes they're just straight out talks. And so these are folks who are, you know, let's say on average have spent uh, 15, sometimes up to 20 years in higher education, really honing their craft. And... They are at a different point of literacy, but they're learning something new. And what I love about working with them is they're open to a new kind of literacy about storytelling. So taking something massive that they know Mm -hmm. and distilling it down to something 
that's concrete enough for the rest of us to understand. Okay. Who don't have PhDs. Who don't yeah. have PhDs. <laughs> okay. but, but also adding in maybe something personal, which is the exact opposite of how they've been trained. Yeah. Right? Okay. They've been trained yeah. throughout their academic career to distill out anything personal. And I'm saying put it in, back yeah, in, put it in. Because for the purpose of the audience, that will help me understand maybe the synthetic biology part mm-hmm. or the economic angle or the, or the psych angle mm-hmm. on on it, right? And it, invariably, each of these colleagues come that, comes out of it as a better speaker, better communicator. Yeah, so it doesn't matter your level of education. Storytelling helps you be a better communicator. Well, it helps yeah. even in a job interview. Exactly. Right? I think I got my job at Concordia because I do storytelling. Because you got a good story. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. It's a true story, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow, this is amazing. What a great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> The other piece that's interesting, I think, that was the unintended consequence for me about this. So I, uh, the reason I pitched for the first time to confabulation is I was coaching these academics on the matter of how to produce a seven-minute talk. And I thought, well, if I'm asking them to do it, mm-hmm. why don't I walk in their shoes? Mm-hmm. Why don't I see what it's like to really take something that I know well, a, a story, something that matters to me, and make it appeal to an audience of folks that I don't know, Mm -hmm. a group of strangers. And it began that way, and I really believed I'd do it once and feel good about it Mm -hmm. and walk away. And and I did it once, and I thought, I can't stop. every time I do it, I learn. But the other unintended consequence then is that I started writing more. Mm -hmm. I met other amazing people who always um, fuel my thinking Mm. and make my storytelling better. And so, I mean, we use community uh, easily in a facile way now, but this is a true community of storytellers. We make each other better, right? Yeah, the start of my Broadway story, that was thanks to you. Because I sent you my draft, because I and and you and we were on the phone and we were joking around and I said something and you were like you should start your story. With well, because I yeah. can hear you saying that, right? Mm-hmm. I know your voice. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Matt Goldberg, who does Confabulation, he was like, that is the most Emma opening yeah. story yeah. I've ever heard you tell. Yeah, because yeah. it is just me being like, this is what you need to know yeah. about yeah. Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was just through work. I could imagine us community. like having brunch and you saying, this is what you need. <laughs> Do yeah. Joanne when you go to yeah so that would yeah. be yeah you, can you go see this show yeah yeah you find out who you really are through the eyes of someone else like we don't operate in a vacuum and the the myth of the lone genius is that it's a, it's a myth yeah. and in order to do well in any aspect of your life you must collaborate and I think storytelling is a great opportunity to put your heart out there with you know trusted members of the storytelling community and say. How, who am I? <laughs> you know, because it's so hard to know yourself and to have someone else you trust mm-hmm. say, you know, I've listened to your stories. I know you. And I think this is where you want to start, you know, and, and that's been invaluable. And I think I've become a better storyteller through collaborating with other people and through teaching. So it also creates this opportunity to throw your ego in the garbage can because when I teach, I have people who uh, have never done storytelling and by the end of the class, their story is better than anything I could ever come up with. Mm-hmm. And it's, really? it yeah. teaches you that with the right support, with the right chemistry, we all better ourselves together. You yeah. know, we help each other be the best people yeah. we can be. Yeah. And so that's a great thing about storytelling is the community that it builds. Okay. Yeah. And it's so important to work with other people mm-hmm. because it's hard when you're writing it, um, whether you're writing it physically or working on a story, however mm-hmm. you want to do it, it's hard sometimes to get out of your own head. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where you'll think like, this detail is so important, I really need to leave this in here. But it's, it's not. Like, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's like no one needs to hear that. It's no. not like pertinent yeah. to this story or maybe it's a different story it's like this is yeah. great but it's not in it's this, a different story it's a yeah. different story or you're saying the same thing four times yeah. and the fourth time you said it is actually the best way but you yeah. don't know and I always tell my students that too it's because you're writing about your own life you're talking about your own life so you think you're the expert you're not you're not the expert. Yeah. You know, the, like, the audience is the expert. Yeah, the audience is the expert. And you have to trust yeah. the questions that they ask are going to make your story better. Mm-hmm. And so I think another great thing about storytelling, if, if you are a writer and want to pursue writing, is when you're writing by yourself, mm-hmm. you don't know how it's going to land. You don't know if your introduction is compelling. When you're telling an oral story, if you feel people leaning mm-hmm. in, if you have a line and people laugh, 
that means it's funny or it's awkward in a funny way or whatever. If, if you have an ending and people stand up and there's a, you know, a brace applause, that ending works. You know, conversely, if there's, you know, shuffling or silence or, you know, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to work on that section because when I performed it, it felt confusing for the audience. Yeah. And so it really helps you understand how a story works. And you're going to get better when you go back to your desk. One of the best examples or manifestations of that is the two-minute story. So each of us have done the two-minute story night. Mm -hmm. Which is a confabulation event. It's a confabulation event. And it's um, it's, it's a great example of how little you really need to have an audience get where you are. Mm -hmm. So it's a real mastery of of distilling to the absolute essential. And that, I I think by far, that's my favorite kind of storytelling right now. I really get, we do it once a year and it, it's always a challenge to think of something that can be successfully contain, um, conveyed in two minutes. minutes yeah. And it, wow. it, they're super yeah. fun, right? We they're, they're, great... they're usually pretty funny. Like They're usually funny yeah. stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I take it as like a personal challenge to make it as short as possible. Yeah. Um, and they do fun things. Like if you go past two minutes, they like ring a bell. If you go yeah. past three minutes, they used to have like a water gun. Right. <laughs> four minutes. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun and everyone has those little anecdotes from their mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. Around. That work is a yeah. that work is a, That work is like a little yeah. two minute package. It, in the work that I do with, um, academic colleagues, I use my two-minute stories as examples, right? Because their particular challenge is to go from immensity to something brief. And invariably, each one of them says, it's absolutely impossible. Yeah, it can't be done. It can't be done. Cannot be done. And I'll tell one of my two-minute stories, and they're then convinced. Mm -hmm. Ah, you actually don't need all that much mm-hmm. to share with an audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like that Ernest... Hearing is believing. Yeah. yeah, it's like that Ernest Hemingway story that's like... The six Baby story. shoes for sale never worn. Yeah. You know? The, that's an incredible six, story. Six-word yeah. stories, for instance, are yeah. very popular. Think of how much you learn from those few words. So Bur- much. Burn the haystack, found the needle is another one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it's, a, it's such a great exercise to say... To find a way to say so much in such a small amount of time. Yeah. Did you have another wow. question for us, Chris? <laughs> After that, no, no. no, you know what? It's I mean, I'm just blown away by those things that um, learning myself uh, mm. here, listening to you guys talk about this. And uh, my next question was, how can the listeners or people become involved in storytelling from an audience perspective, mm-hmm. or becoming a the storyteller themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Confabulation has storytelling shows in Montreal, also in Toronto and in Victoria. Okay. So you can go to confabulation.ca and it usually has up-to-date storytelling events. Otherwise, you can find them on Facebook. They okay. update with their events. Um, there's a show called This Really Happened, which is more infrequent, but it's often a part of the Blue Metropolis Literary Festival. Okay. So this year on May 3rd, there's a storytelling event actually with Nisha Coleman, who I spoke about. Yep. Yep. Before and I'll okay. be in the show as well. Um, and Joel Yanofsky, who is a nonfiction writer in Montreal, um, and a few other people whose names escape me now. Um, and then also there are confabulation workshops often, so you can take a workshop and learn more about. All right. And you're going to be doing, teaching. No, no, I'm doing one. Oh, you're right doing now. one. Okay. There's a, a second level one for people who have already told stories. <laughs> okay. And great. It's really great. I'm doing okay. it right now, and I love it. That's great. Uh, so and this is a. Yeah, put the uh, the links in the on the podcast yep. or, or or on, on our blog or whatever. Yeah, can, anything can, I mentioned that I didn't email to you, I'll send it. Yeah, again. yeah, yeah, do that. Uh, and then also, Quebec Writers Federation has fairly affordable writing courses okay. as well. Uh, Nisha and I told, uh, taught a storytelling class, and at the end, all the students presented on stage. None of them dropped out. They all decided to tell. It was recorded. Wow. They had a great time. Um, and a few of those people went on to then pitch to confabulation and, and tell stories that way. So uh, there's plenty of opportunities to be an audience member, but also if you want to learn more, uh, confabulation has workshops, and so does yeah. Quebec Writers Federation. So, all right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Concordia uh, University will be um, uh, certainly having more storytelling events. I'm okay. working on an initiative mm-hmm. with community organizations to build uh, storytelling literacy Mm. um, in our network through Concordia. Um, I teach uh, storytelling mostly to academics, but I have a coaching practice 
Um, and you can get more information about that at inchesandangles.com. Beautiful. So those, yeah, so those who, uh, have, who are working on something in their life, it could be job or personal related. I use storytelling coaching as part of their change process. Yeah. Also at Concordia, um, an yes. initiative that uh, I started at the Center for Clinical Research and Health is called the Lived Experience Conversation Series. And what it is is a person with lived experience of mental illness, um, either themselves or a family member, okay. will speak, uh, tell a true life story, and then they're paired with an academic from our center who is a, an expert in whatever that particular illness is, and they have a guided conversation. Um, we had a really successful launch event in January, um, and we're going to have another one in September, and then another one next January. Um, so if we go to Concordia backslash CCRH, there'll be okay. more. And the audio of those events and our storytelling event in March are available as part of the Thinking Out Loud podcast, which is what okay. I produce. Thinking Out Loud Thinking podcast. Thinking Out Loud podcast. Definitely. Okay, we'll put that in the description yeah. as well. Awesome. Hey, is it, is, I mean, on that note, is there, is there anything, that crescendo, is there anything else that you guys want to... Just that storytelling is awesome and everyone should be involved in it, whether it's an audience member or a Come to a storytelling event and learn more about storytelling. We actually, we all go to storytelling events ourselves and we, um, I always learn Mm -hmm. either about something I may never want to do or or don't yes. particularly I know what I don't like mm-hmm. in storytelling and by the way every story you hear you you might not like every story you yeah. hear sure. the great thing about those nights is that the stories appeal to different people mm-hmm. um, and uh, some things that might not work for me might work for others um, so going to a storytelling event is a great start and mm-hmm. the tickets are really affordable yeah, yeah. they're like um, between f- uh, 15 and 20 20 dollars yeah. There's a show uh, on May 9th, yeah. also at the Wiggle Room. Mm-hmm. It's a, a, a storytelling and music show, and Taylor and I will be performing in that show on the subject of blooming. Yeah, blossoming. Blossoming. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll send you the, all the links. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, guys, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Yeah, that was yeah. fun. Absolutely it was awesome thank you. episode. And um, we'll, uh, we'll uh, have to get some of our... Uh, learners and, and members going to these events. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe you let us know. We'll be happy to welcome them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get you up there telling a story. Maybe you will be telling a story, Chris. Yeah. That's what I was thinking that. That's what yeah. I was going through. Maybe, maybe I need to, uh, you know, challenge myself yeah. and, yes. and do some uh, storytelling myself. But thank you so much, guys. Really it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers. Awesome.